Good morning. We are going to stay in Luke 15 this morning. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7. It was about a month ago now. I woke up one morning and was having breakfast outside with my daughter. And I had my Bible and I just opened it up to Luke 15. It wasn't uh, by chance, but it wasn't my intention. And I decided I was going to start reading to her from the scripture. So I started reading Luke 15. My daughter's four years old. And as I was reading, I was just taken back by God's love towards sinners in these parables. And the rest of that day, I began to meditate on this passage. And the next morning, I, uh, I texted Grady. We're good friends. And I sent him a message because I knew that you guys were going through a series on evangelism. And I said something along the lines of, hey, man been reading through Luke 15, and I would love to preach this sermon in Maricopa Springs. And then I said, you should consider it. And what I meant by that was, Grady Root, you should consider preaching Luke 15 to your congregation. And Grady responded back and said, actually, I could use the help on the 24th. So I said, absolutely. So God obviously wanted me to be here this morning for us to hear this passage together. This passage in Luke 15 records three parables. Now a parable is a teaching style uh, that uses common imagery of the day, uh, allegory of such to drive home only one main point. And Jesus here in these three parables of Luke 15 is driving home one main point, and that point is simply this. The self-righteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God because Jesus came to seek and save sinners. And this is indeed what we will be looking at this morning, but we're going to be looking more at the heart of God this morning. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 7, the parable of the lost sheep, and my desire is that we would see the motivation in the gospel to encourage us towards personal evangelism. When Grady shared with me that you guys were doing this series, and I got lunch, and I just said to him, hey, motivation is what's going to drive people to share Christ. And motivation brings forth action. We know this in everyday life. Some examples are yard work. If one is motivated to have their trees trimmed and their grass looking nice and their flowers kept up, well, one is going to move into action and actually take care of their yard. Physical fitness. If one is motivated to eat healthy and to go to the gym and work out, the action is they will do that. And so it is with evangelism, with sharing Christ. It's not about carrying around a, a heavy weight of you must tell people about Jesus. It's about being motivated to share Christ. And that motivation is found as we see what God has done to us in Christ. So let's read Luke 15 verses 1 through 7 together. And side note, these three parables in this chapter are all getting to the same thing. So there's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then what Grady just read and probably the most popular, the parable of the lost son. So chapter 15 verses 1 through 7 says this, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. 
He said, what man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying, I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. Let's pray together. And then we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Trisha's prayer for the children in the back as she prayed that they would get to hear the word of God and be changed by it. That is my prayer for us this morning. God, that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted, and that we would be commissioned to make much of Christ for your glory. Help us to see your word now, apply it to our life, as only you can do by your spirit. We thank you for the word that it is powerful and effective, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, verses 1 and 2, I want to touch on a, a few um, small points, and then we'll get into the meat of our passage this morning, which is going to be verses 3 through 6, and then we will conclude with verse 7. So, verses 1 and 2, a couple points here. Look at verse 1, and there is, it says this, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Your Bible might say they were drawing near to listen to Jesus. And I want to lay the foundation for us as we are encouraged to go forth with the gospel to tell people about Christ. And we need to know this. We need to know that it is the supernatural work of God that draws people to listen to Jesus first and foremost. As we engage in everyday life, it isn't our responsibility or our duty to get people to come and listen to Jesus. God does that. He is the one that is working behind the scenes to bring people to listen to Jesus. John 6.44 tells us that no one can come to me. This is Jesus talking. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws that person. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is Christ at work drawing people to himself so that they can hear and believe. And as we go out in life, it's important to note that there's two types of listeners when it comes to hearing Jesus. There are superficial listeners and there are supernatural listeners. The one group are those who come to Jesus on superficial terms. They want to listen to Jesus because somebody's telling them things that aren't true about the gospel, that Jesus will just meet all of their needs, he will give them all of their wants, he will supply all of their riches, and that's not the gospel. And we see that if you read through the scriptures yourselves, you'll notice that while there's a lot of people coming and listening to Jesus time and time again, not many continue to follow him. Not many believe upon him and receive him for who he is, it's because they're superficial listeners. And we need to know that, we need to know that if we're going to be fruitful personal evangelist. But then there are those who are going to hear and receive Christ supernaturally, and that is because the message we proclaim is a supernatural message. I was here a few months ago and I taught on John chapter 3 that Jesus said we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And that is true. We need to be born again. There must be a supernatural work taking place. And so here, as these tax collectors and sinners are drawing to Jesus, just know God's the one behind the scenes, bringing people into areas of life, into circumstances of life, so that they can hear the message of Christ. But then notice verse 2. As these people are coming to listen to Jesus, there's a group of people called the Pharisees and scribes, the religious elite of the day. And notice what they're doing. They're standing at a distance looking at what's taking place and they're complaining. They're grumbling. They're saying, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They're hurling assaults upon Jesus. They're accusing him of doing something wrong. And I couldn't help but think about our own lives and really asking the question, do we welcome sinners? Do we welcome sinners? Is our current life right now, as you guys have been going through the series, Blessed and Brady has touched on this a couple times, welcoming and engaging sinners into our life? Do we look more like Jesus, welcoming the lost, or do we ever find ourselves becoming momentarily stiff-necked, judgmental, stiff-arming those who need Christ instead of welcoming them into our lives? Sadly, many people accuse Christians of being unloving. And while it's true that a lot of times it's because we are just faithfully living for Jesus and proclaiming the word, but sadly, a lot of times as well, it's because we're actually not living the love of Christ that Jesus himself sets as an example for us. Sadly, in my own life, early on in my Christian walk, the good news that I believed about Jesus didn't lead me to loving people well. I actually, though I knew that I was a sinner and was saved by God's grace, and though I really did want people to know Christ, I found that oftentimes I would see sinners and I would be judgmental. And I found that in my own life, people who I wanted to know Christ were actually being pushed out of my life, and people like close friends and family members. I was the only light, and I didn't shine as I was supposed to. And so this morning, I just, for those of us who are in Christ, let us not just read over this quickly and say, oh yeah, that's the scribes and Pharisees, but let us examine our own condition daily and regularly that though we are set apart in Christ, we're not called to be excluding ourselves from those who need Jesus. Let us be a people who are welcoming sinners. So with that said, let's look at the meat of our passage, verses 3 through 6. I've titled this section, The Shepherd Heart and Work of God. The Shepherd Heart and the Work of God. Let's read it together. It says, so he, Jesus, told this parable in response to these judgmental Pharisees. He says, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts that sheep on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I have four points for us out of this section. Four gospel motivations that will spur us on towards personal evangelism. Four things God does towards us 
to save us. And the first one is found in verse 4, and that is this, that Jesus goes after his sheep. Jesus goes after his sheep. It says here, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one? God is the pursuer. God pursues us. Jesus is actively seeking his lost sheep. He is not sitting back passively hoping that we come to him. No, he knows each of the sheep by name and is actively going after each one of them. In John 10, 14, Jesus says this about himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. You see, our natural condition as lost sheep puts us in a category of not looking for God. Romans chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2 both lay out in detail that in our lost condition, we actually run away from Him. We actually are pursuing things that are not Him. We don't love Him. We don't want Him. We're not seeking Him. We're not lost out there begging that Jesus would come and find us. Actually, no, we are doing the exact, the exact opposite. We are going our own way. That's what the parable is explaining. When a sheep goes his own way, it's because he does not want God. And so Jesus is actively pursuing us as rebels. And this is critical. If we are going to be motivated to go after sinners also, we must know that God came for us when we wanted nothing to do with him. In our daily sphere of life, we have to recognize that people are not going to just walk up to us and say, man, can you just tell me about Jesus? At least not often. We have to have the same heart as Jesus, the heart that says, I'm going to pursue sinners. I'm going to pursue sinners. Romans 5, 6 says this, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5.8 says God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, this is the shepherd heart of God that loves sinners and goes after sinners so that he makes them his own. I have to ask us, are we motivated by God coming after us? Is that something that currently in your own life, daily, you reflect upon Jesus coming after you in your lost condition so that you would want to go after others also? Gospel motivation produces personal evangelism. Point number two. Not only does Jesus go after his lost sheep, but Jesus finds his lost sheep. Notice as we continue on in verse 4. He says, What man does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until what? Until he finds it. Jesus never comes home empty-handed. He always finds his sheep. 
If you remember Nathaniel in the Gospels when Jesus was calling the disciples, the twelve, to himself, Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. Andrew came and got him, brings him back to Jesus, says, we found the Messiah. And as he's approaching, Jesus says, now here is an Israelite with whom there is no fault. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree before Andrew came and called you. Jesus knows us, brothers and sisters. The reason he finds us is because he knows us before we knew that we needed to be found. Jesus goes after each one and finds each one because he intimately knows his sheep. Now, many of us, when talking about our conversion and coming to Christ, have probably used this type of a, a terminology on such and such date or during this, in this time of my life, I found Jesus. And what we mean by that is that we came to saving faith in Christ. I remember when I was a new believer, only a couple years into my faith, I went to California with a buddy and we met with some friends down there and after the church service, this kid in the back seat said, hey Trevor, I just want to ask you, do you think you found Jesus or did he find you? And I thought, well, I'm pretty sure I found Jesus. I mean, I, I'm saved, you know, and I started talking with him and he, he kindly went on to tell me, well, Yes, it is true you found Jesus, but it's not because we were the ones going after him. You see, Jesus was never lost. We were lost. Jesus actually found us. And the testimony of our conversion is better said, while I was in this condition or during this time of my life or on such and such date, Jesus found me. Jesus found me. Ephesians 1 says that we were dead in our sins. We weren't kind of dead. We weren't lukewarm, alive. We were dead. And it says that he saved us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 reads this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to the ways of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Brothers and sisters, what motivation is this for us to not only go after lost people, but to find lost people metaphorically, that is to bring them Jesus so that he, the good shepherd, can find his sheep. This is motivation to tell others about Christ. We are only messengers. We are not the shepherd, and this is important because as we go forth with the gospel, we need to recognize, we need to have bullets lined up in our gun so that when we preach Jesus, we're not concerned with doing the saving work. We're just the conduit. We're the ones out there proclaiming Christ. Jesus is the one who finds his sheep. Only Jesus can save. So be encouraged to tell people about Christ in everyday life. Gospel motivation produces personal evangelism. Point three, Jesus brings his sheep home. Jesus brings his sheep home. Not only does he go after the lost sheep and find the lost sheep, but he brings 
the sheep home. Let's read it together. It says, when he has found it, he joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders, verse 5, into verse 5, and coming home, he calls his, I'm sorry, that's next, sorry. When he has found it, he puts the sheep on his shoulders and brings the sheep home. When God saves us, he doesn't leave us where we are. He brings us into something entirely new. I have three small points in this section about what Jesus does when he brings us home. Number one, when Jesus brings us home, he brings us home into the family of God. The family of God. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians 1.5 speaks to us being brought into the family of God through adoption. When Paul writes this, he says, He, meaning God the Father, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Brothers and sisters, when God saved you, you were a lost sheep in isolation. But when he brought you home, he brought you into a family. Jesus being the brother, the head brother. And for those of us who are in Christ, we become children of God. If you're familiar with the old covenant promise made to Abraham, God told Abraham that through his seed or his offspring, that he would bless the nations. And Galatians 3.26 tells us that for if in Christ Jesus, for if you are in Christ Jesus, then you are all sons of God through faith. The term son of God here or becoming a son in the Bible is important, although there are ladies here, sisters in Christ, who are also adopted. The idea is becoming a son of God is to receive all the benefits, the inheritance that a son would gain. So whether you're male or female, Metaphorically here, you become a son of God. You become a child of God. And if we are in Christ, then we are part of Abraham's promise, part of the family of God. This is motivation for us so that as we're going out into our daily lives, to school, to work, to the grocery store, shepherding kids all day at home, all day at home, all day at home, that you would remember that we have a mission, and that mission is to bring people, as it were, as we point them to Jesus, into the family of God. And that is such good news to be family. Such good news. Point two is Jesus brings us home, not only into the family of God, but he brings us home into the fold of God, the church. In John chapter 10, verse 16 Jesus says this concerning his sheep. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. What Jesus is talking about there is what I just mentioned with Abraham's promise. Abraham had two descendants, the descendant of Jacob, Isaac, and then Jacob, the, the, 
um, physical descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people. That was one group. And then later we see there's this other group that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about Gentiles. That's probably most of us here in this room. Those who weren't by lineage a descendant of Abraham, but through faith in Christ. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I've got sheep of two different folds. They're going to become one. They're going to become one. And that fold is the church, the body of Christ. Acts 20, 28, Paul is talking to the Ephesian pastors and he says this, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock or the fold in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he, Jesus, obtained with his own blood. When I was a new believer, I didn't have a good view of what the church was. And so my few first years in the faith, I was part of a church. I ended up leaving that church, and I tell people I became like a desperado Christian. I was the Lone Ranger. I was doing my own thing, and that's not compatible with what Jesus does when he saves his sheep. He, he brings his sheep home, and he brings them home into the church. Local manifestations, Maricopa Springs is one of them where we do life with one another, where we are in fellowship with one another. And this is motivation for us as we tell other people about Jesus. And it's important for us that as we proclaim Christ, in our culture, in our day, people are very quick to disassociate themselves with church, with religion. And rightly so in a lot of ways because their view of church and religion is not the the Christian church. It's a distortion of it. So we need to help people see when we're full of the motivation of God's saving grace towards us to tell people, to show people, to point people to what the true church looks like. The true church. I love this song. It's an older hymn. Listen to the words of this song talking about God's grace bringing us into the fold, into the sheep fold, the church. It says, in tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders he brought me back to his fold again. While angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang, oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God the wondrous grace that brought me to the fold of God. Look that song up later in tenderness. Go home and listen to it. It is so good. You will be motivated to go tell people about Jesus. Jesus brings his sheep, all his sheep, all the way home. Point three here. Not only does he bring us into the family of God and into the fold of God, the church, Jesus guaranteed brings all of his sheep, not one will be lost, all the way home to future glory, our final destination. John six thirty seven, Jesus says this. He says, all that the Father gives to me, they will come to me. And everyone who comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast them out. Brothers and sisters, I've said this a couple times, but let me say it again. We have an assured mission that Christ has set us on. We have the guarantee that every sheep, every lost, rebellious sheep, 
that God intends to save is going to come to Jesus. All Jesus says that the Father gives him, they will come to him. And this is encouraging. When he brings his sheep home, we can know, we can rest assured that as we are telling people about Jesus, that the Spirit of God is going to save sinners. He's going to save sinners. John 6, 39, Jesus continues on. He says, This is the will of him who sent me, that is the Father, that I should lose none of them that he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. If we are in Christ, there is a last day coming, a future home where Christ is going to raise us up with him forever in glorious bliss. It is the eternal home dwelling that Jesus brings us to. Oftentimes, I believe that Christians do not think enough about the future state that we are waiting for. Heaven is what we call it. Heaven is not a place we just float around and bounce off clouds and, you know, just do that forever, I guess. No, the Bible tells us, and this is important because it's going to motivate us to tell people about Jesus, the Bible says that this earth is going to be restored, that he is going to set up a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In Romans 8.30, Paul is writing to the church. He's encouraging them in the gospel, all the promises, all the assurance, all the benefits that we have in Christ. And then he says this at the end in Romans 8.30. He says, and for those whom God predestined, he also called them. And those whom he called, he also justified them. That means he forgave their sins. He counted them righteous before him. And then it says, and all those whom he justified, he also glorified them. Glorified. This is past tense reality that's already taken place, but will one day come to full fruition. That is this. If we are in Christ, we are going to be glorified with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. Christianity is not only what we're experiencing now. And people need to know this as we're telling them about Jesus. And this should motivate us to tell people about Jesus because we are anticipating a new earth where Jesus reigns, where righteousness dwells. John 3.16, I taught on this a few months ago. It's probably the most famous verse here in America, I would guess. What does John 3.16 say? That God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that the believing ones will not perish, but what? They will have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, are you motivated by eternal life? Adam sinned. We die. Jesus rose from the dead. Death no longer has victory over him, and if we are in him, then we will be raised up to eternal life. That is great hope, that is great encouragement, and that should be great motivation to get out and tell people about the good news of Jesus. Gospel motivation produces personal evangelism. Our fourth point here in this main section is this. Jesus rejoices over his found sheep. He rejoices over his found sheep. Not only does he leave the 99 and go after and find and bring us home, but he rejoices at saving sinners. He rejoices at saving sinners. Verse 6, 
and coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together saying, come, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this about Jesus and his cross work. It says, Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he is right now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the joy that was before Jesus that pushed him in his 100% manhood to go to the cross and to suffer and die for his sheep. It's the joy that Jesus saw that was coming for him, a package that Jesus would get as the son, the incarnate second person of the Trinity, the joy of redeeming all of his people and having his bride. If you're married here, you know what I'm talking about, men, right? Having your bride, receiving your bride. Isaiah 62, 5 says this concerning Israel, God's view of Israel in the Old Testament. But again, if we are in Christ, we understand and know that that was pointing to something greater. Those who believe in Jesus, this is what Isaiah says. He says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Jesus saw the joy of having his bride, of having his people, of being back with the Father in the Spirit, having all things brought under his submission, having all reign and authority. Jesus rejoices in redemption. He rejoices. And God is rejoicing over sinners. What good news is that when we really start to understand and see God's love for us, that he loves us and that he rejoiced to save us, to go to the cross, to be stripped naked, to be whipped, to be crucified. The Bible tells us that it was our sin that was laid upon him when he did that so that we could receive salvation. That is joy. That is motivation for us to tell people about Christ. Gospel motivation produces personal evangelism. So what? So what will ultimately lead us to tell people about Christ, to have our whole life centered around this mission of making disciples? I've heard it, I've been a Christian now almost 15 years, and I've heard a lot of sermons and talks and conversations about getting people to tell people about Jesus. And honestly, it's, I've never really understood it much because, and not because I'm great, but because God has just put a, an effectual zeal in my heart for lost people, for lost people. But I know that not everybody is an evangelist. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is going to ultimately spur us on to center everything around telling people about Jesus? And our answer is found in verse 7. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. 
What we need, brothers and sisters, if we are going to have effective, fruitful, full evangelism, personal evangelism in our life, we need to have more joy. We need to have more joy. If you're familiar with John Piper, he's a pretty popular preacher. His whole ministry could be summed up with joy. That's what he's all about. And the joy he's about is this type of joy, seeing Christ saving us and the joy of seeing God save others. We need to have more joy. We need to see our lost condition more in the grace of God that came after us, that found us, that brought us home and rejoiced over us. We need to meditate on that more and more and more. And if we do that, I'm telling you, you're cup is going to overflow with more and more joy. You won't be able to help it but rise up in the morning and bless the Lord's name and think about everything in your life centered around his mission. Not about work in and of itself, not about vacations that we're planning, not about Christmas list, not about this, that, or the other, but about Christ, about our neighbors, about the grocery store clerk, about addicts, about the single moms, about the women having children out of wedlock, about the orphan children, and the list goes on and on and on. Our hearts are going to swell. They're going to wellow up with more joy, and our lives will reflect that because we're going to tell people about Christ. 1 Peter 2.25 says this. I love this passage. Peter says this, For you were strained like lost sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I know some of you want to say amen to that. It's okay. You don't have to. But I know Grady does. Amen. That is more joy, brothers and sisters, welling up within us. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I love the Apostle Paul. His heart was so full of joy for lost people, for the mission of Christ, for the kingdom of God. He says this about his own ministry to believers. He says, I will most gladly spend myself and be spent for your souls. He wrote this after he just described how he had been beaten numerous times, shipwrecked without food. The list goes on and on of all of his sufferings. And he says, I will most gladly, it is his joy just standing with his face, beaming with joy. I will spend it all and be spent, he says, for your souls, that you would know Christ and the joy of knowing him. Brothers and sisters, does that describe your daily life? None of us are perfect. None of us preach perfectly. We all need to be reminded and encouraged of these truths all the time, every day. I preached a while back on Acts when we were doing that, maybe a year ago or so, on Acts 2, and it says that the believers were regularly gathering, encouraging one another, and rejoicing and fellowshipping. Why? So that they would be spurred on towards love and good deeds. We can't just listen to good sermons. We can't come to church on Sunday and then leave and go watch football and do all these other things and and think that our life's going to bear fruit in these areas. We have to consistently be meditating and thinking upon the gospel and encouraging one another in 
this good news that we have received. And when we do that, I'm telling you, Maricopa and the ends of the earth, people more and more are going to hear and believe and follow Jesus. And heaven is going to rejoice. And what is the end goal of it all? The whole saving work of Christ, this is probably my most favorite verse in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says this, For it is all for your sake, brothers and sisters, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Everything ends with God's glory. It's all about Him. It's all about exalting Him and worshiping Him and making much of Him. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Revelation, go read it. Look at chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 7 as the saints are just worshiping the Lamb who is holy, 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 exalting and praising Him. This is what it's all about. It's about getting caught up in the joy of the glory of the Lord. Freely we have been given, brothers and sisters. Freely let us give. Gospel motivation produces personal evangelism. I want to just take one last minute here to talk to those in the room who might not actually be sheep at this moment. That is, sheep who have been sought after by, the, by Jesus, who have been brought in, who have been taken home and who have been rejoiced over. Sheep who have yet to come, but Jesus intends to save. I just want to tell you this morning, if that is you, that you would come to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. My prayer is that God, if there is even one sinner every time I preach, just one sinner, heaven rejoices. If that's you this morning, do not leave here without clinging yourself to Christ. There's no prayer that you can pray. There's no aisle you can walk up to be saved. It is all about throwing yourself, believing upon Jesus and all that he has done for dying for sinners, for raising for sinners, believing that he saves. And if you believe in him, the Bible says, you will not be put to shame. Come and rejoice as God and the people of God rejoice over sheep being found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gospel, for Christ, for your word, for joy. God, fill us up, swell us up, plump us up, God, that we would be overflowing with Christ-like gospelization. Lord, personally evangelizing sinners. Let us welcome sinners as Jesus welcomes sinners joyfully and humbly with compassion Oh, God, just praying and desiring and eagerly wanting people to see him. Lord, thank you for the word and the church and our time. Spur us on, I pray, Lord. Fill us afresh for your great name. Amen.